Welcome to Sober Discussions. This is Steve and Mike, and sometimes you just need to take out the trash. Hello, and welcome to Sober Discussions. Our topic is the justice system. Before we start, I do want to say a couple of pertinent things in all seriousness. For starters, the episode will likely give emotional outbursts, and is not for people that have severe PTSD or difficulty hearing disturbing information. There is no way we will be able to cover everything. Second, It takes people years to go through law school to fully understand the topic. We are here to explain to the best we can, to the best of our ability. Three, the good news is I have found some great material and want to make this sober discussion with you guys. So let's kick this in gear. Before we start, we're going to take a quick overview of the justice system. I really enjoyed this video, mainly because it has really good breakdown and it comes straight from the Southeast Texas Criminal Justice Studies. So we have an idea what the justice system is. Just due to time constraints, if something doesn't make a lot of sense, I very strongly encourage you researching into it and get a better understanding for sure. Mike, can you play that for us? In this screencast, we'll discuss ever so briefly the criminal justice system. The criminal justice system in the U.S. is interdependent. That means it's composed of multiple different organizations, each having its own goals, histories, and operating procedures. The CJ system is often expressed through this diagram, which illustrates the three different subsystems, police, courts, and corrections. There's overlap in the diagram because the three subsystems overlap into each other. An example of this are peace officers working in the corrections bubble to monitor sex offenders in the communities. The police subsystem consists of law enforcement agencies on four different levels. First, the federal level, the state level, the county level, and finally, city or municipal police departments. It's estimated there are 17,000 separate agencies in the United States and about 900,000 law enforcement officers. The next subcomponent of the criminal justice system is the courts. There are four major levels of criminal courts. First, the federal level. The federal court system is comprised of trial and appellate courts, which terminate at the U.S. Supreme Court. Before we continue, it's important to note the U.S. uses what's called a dual court system. Courts exist at both a federal and state level. There are 51 different court systems in the United States today. The federal court system and each of the 50 states' court systems. The next level in that core component of the criminal justice system is found at that state level. Each state has its own independent structure. And states differ very greatly from each other. There are a few similarities, though. State court systems all have their final court of appeal usually referred to as that state Supreme Court. State and federal courts also share the U.S. Supreme Court as the ultimate final court. Any appeal in any of the 50 states or the federal government may go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. The final two levels consist of county and municipal and justice courts. These courts handle lower level offenses, typically misdemeanors and city ordinances. There are five interconnected layers in the final subcomponent of the criminal justice system, which is corrections. The federal corrections function is performed by the Federal Bureau of Prisons, which operates more than 175 prisons. Each state has its own corrections agency, which operates prisons and possibly functions like parole and probation oversight. There are also county jails. In Texas, each county jail is typically the responsibility of the sheriff. Another aspect of the correction subcomponent involves punishment other than incarceration, namely monetary fines. Finally, the first line of rehabilitation, community supervision which is commonly known as probation. All right, so now that we've covered an overview of the justice system as a whole, let's dig a little bit deeper into the court structure. 
It is very short with a lot of great information. It's about a minute long. Mike, can you play that for us? Traffic tickets, divorce, bankruptcy, they're all cases that might land a person in court. American courts play a critical role in the U.S. justice system by interpreting, making, and upholding laws. So how do they work? Well, power is shared between the federal government and state governments. State courts are allowed to hear most cases like broken contracts, family disputes, and robberies. But federal courts only handle certain types of lawsuits, like cases that are governed by the U.S. Constitution. At both the state and federal level, there are three levels of courts. Trial courts, appellate courts, and state supreme courts. State supreme courts usually have the final say, but some cases can be appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. The United States Supreme Court is the highest court in America, and its decisions are binding in every court across the country. My thoughts on what we just watched? Not really. Um... One interesting thing, when we talk about the Supreme Courts, we have nine slots, right, for the Supreme Court. Ginsburg passed away, right? So we're eight days into before we announce the President of the United States. Amy... Coney Barrett. She was uh, basically indoctrinated two days ago. So two days ago... 26th. The 26th, she was appointed to be the um, Supreme Court Justice. Uh, a lot of people are really fueled up about it. There are only nine seats. She's going to be there for her entire lifetime, basically, until she passes away and someone else fills in her place. That is uh, a part of it. Um, before we go any further deep, Mike, did you want to share like some of your experiences that you had uh, with the justice system? Yeah, I have an experience happened when I was in my early 20s. Right. I was driving home one night. Uh, I only had to drive through neighborhoods to get home. I came out of one neighborhood and saw a couple cars pulled over and it looked like they probably had been in some sort of accident, and uh, didn't think anything else of it and went home. About a half hour later, I get a knock on my door from a police officer who asks me why I ran away from the scene of an accident. And I, of course, told him that I wasn't involved in an accident and that I didn't see an accident, but that I did, you know, there, there were call, cars pulled over. Uh, he then continues to accuse me of having been in the accident and brings me down to my car, and I had an older car, uh, late 90s, I think. Was that the old gray car? Um, not my, like, not the 19, like, 70. Not the one that, like, we went shooting that one time, and, like, it went, like, we could feel the rocks going on the floor boards, you remember that? <laughs> no, yeah, different car. Different car. Okay. Uh... It, it was uh, it was still a little bit of an older car, right? A little bit beat up, had some chips on the paint, and anyway, the officer points at a little strip of paint. So the car was silver, and it had a little bit of a beige strip of paint streak on it, mm -hmm. and that streak had been there since I had purchased the car. I don't know where it came from, and he says that that streak, uh, the, the color matches the color of one of the cars involved in the accident. Basically, he was very disrespectful to me and treated right. me as if he were treating, you know, somebody who was treating him disrespectfully, although I wasn't. Like you're a criminal, right? Pretty much. Basically. It, it, in your own home, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I understand, you know, from his perspective, he thinks I did it. He doesn't believe that I didn't. I don't hold that against him. But anyway, um, long story short, what ended up happening is I got a police report because I was curious about what actually happened. The beige strip of paint that the officer claimed matched the paint of the other car involved mm-hmm. uh, was incorrect. The huh. police report showed a red car. No, you mean red is different than than beige? Um, yeah. So, so that happened. I looked at the police report. I don't really know what the police officer. I, maybe the police officer was misinformed. And uh, what ended up happening was I went to court, and my boss at the time was very generous, and I am very grateful for him. He actually paid for an attorney for me. That's crazy, man. Um, given the situation, and so the attorney. It was somebody that he personally knew. Right. And so I, I'm sure Makes he got sense. a deal on it. But the uh, attorney uh, and I met at the court the day that I was supposed to go to court. And I had tried to prepare a whole bunch of documentation trying to prove that I didn't do anything. Right. Such as getting signatures from people claiming that that strip of paint was there before the accident supposedly happened. Mm-hmm. The attorney kind of looks through the documents and says, yeah, they're not going to care about any of this. And he basically said, this is just a game to them. They don't really seem to actually care whether you're innocent or guilty for a misdemeanor like this. They just want their paycheck. Wow. That is what the attorney said. That may not be true in all cases, but in some cases it may be true. Maybe in your case, right? From what it sounds like? A um, possibility. Possibility. Right. Uh, so yeah, I went to court. The attorney basically was able to put me in a position where I was able to do what is called pleading guilty in abeyance, which basically means I have a 90-day term where I can't have anything else happen on my record and as long as that is the case then it goes away from my record it was a very weird thing to do because i was pleading guilty as if i had done it and it was a hard choice that i made because i could have sat there and fought it but the attorney basically said that there was no evidence to support that i even though you know the the police report showed red right. on, on uh, my beige paint the attorney said it was basically my best option so wow. i just went with it it was a very weird thing to do because I was basically telling a lie so that the truth could be on my record. And what I wanted was the truth to be... I don't know, I wanted to tell the truth, but I wanted the truth on my record. I didn't know what to do. Here I am, this young 22-year-old kid. I don't know what right. I'm doing. I've never been in a weird situation like this. I'm not familiar with the justice system. So that was my experience. I The whole time, I basically felt like innocent until proven guilty. I very much felt like I was guilty until proven innocent. Just that sure. It just felt backwards. That being said, I'm grateful we do have a justice system for more extreme cases than you know, a, a hit and run. Right. I don't think that I was treated fair, but it's in the past. I moved on. Uh, no, I uh, think uh, maybe I can say a couple of things. I was on my way to California to work for a job. Promise, if you have the notion to eat like old 7-Eleven hot dogs <laughs> on a road trip, I highly recommend not doing that. Uh, had to pull over. I was vomiting uh, because, you know, old hot dogs at 7-Eleven isn't, you know, the you know safest thing to eat on road trips. Imagine that. Uh, had a cop pull over. He asked me if I was drinking. Told him no. I asked him to just give me a breathalyzer test so I could vomit in peace. Uh, He told me no. 
I told him, so, like, if you're not going to give me a breathalyzer test, what are you, like, are you going to let me just, like, throw up on the side of the road, or, or what are you going to do? And he's like, well, I'm going to give you a sobriety test, so do that for 10 or 15 minutes, types in on his computer system, goes away, right? Uh, so that's one of them. Uh, the other one was a little bit more, I guess you'd say, extreme, that I did. Of course, you know the California stop, right? Roll up to the stop <laughs> sign. Don't quite make a complete stop. And go. And then go. Well, so this police officer uh, was camping out at a bar. He assumed that when I did the California stop that I was, you know, an opportune, you know, person to pull over because he was pretty confident that I was driving under the influence, right? Okay. Pulls me over. Uh, He's really aggressive. He's very agitated. So I told him, like, I don't know, like, why you're frustrated at me because you were the one that pulled me over. He's like, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, I'm assuming because you feel like I didn't make a complete stop at the stop sign. He's like, yeah. And I said, well, haven't you done that before? And he's like, that's not relevant. And I'm like, okay, so what are you gonna do? He's like, license and registration. Have my license, registration, he asked for my car insurance. So I'm fumbling through my wallet, couldn't really find it. Obviously, law enforcement have the capability to look up your license plate to verify that you have insurance. Sure. They do. He didn't, right? So he gave me a ticket for failure to stop at a stop sign and for not having proper uh, drive uh, insurance. He made me get out of my vehicle. He probably went to smell to see if there was like alcohol or something in the vehicle Obviously, there wasn't. My window wouldn't roll down because it was broken. He's asked me, like, why my window wasn't working. I asked him, have you ever had a car that window just wouldn't roll down? He didn't really appreciate that answer. He said I was being a smartass, being very aggressive. So when he had me get out of the vehicle, I kind of, you know, uh, aggressively opened my door so he feels startled and he grabs for his gun, which I didn't feel was very reasonable because I was unarmed. There was like no real reason, you know, for him to feel like he needed to unholster his weapon. So then he took a couple of steps back, had a chill out and uh, gave me two tickets and sent me on my way. Ended up going to the department, told him, hey, like I have my registration license here. You can look through my license and insurance. Obviously, I haven't had any laps. Obviously, I've been paying for my car insurance. I think this law enforcement officer had a bad day, right? So I paid like the $250 fines or whatever crap they made me do. But uh, yeah, that was pretty That was pretty uh, eye-opening to me. Going through this, it has a lot of feels uh, going through the justice system. Just a couple of experiences that I had. I was a stupid teenager, had way too many uh, speeding tickets, drove a 96 Mustang, had my license suspended. Those were reasonable. I was stupid. I got a ticket for being stupid. I'm not upset about those, (laughs) right? You know, those two times um, were really telling for me. Um, Let's continue. We've got a lot of things to cover. Mike, any any last thoughts or anything before we kind of dig into this? I know that there have been quite a bit of uh, feelings going around from everybody about just the police force in general. Definitely. Um, and we'll cover that for sure. But yeah, please go ahead. For no, sure. I, ju- I just want to express my opinion that I am, despite the fact that we've both 
kind of had experiences where a police officer maybe was more aggressive or, or not really kind to us when we right. haven't really given them a reason to be mean. Sure. I, I'm still grateful that they're out there serving us and protecting us. There are those that are probably too aggressive. There are, I, my opinion is there are good cops and bad cops. Some sure. people very much disagree with that, but there's good and bad in everyone. No, I, I definitely agree with you. I think that if we did not have law enforcement, which is actually a really good segue what we're going to go into, but I think if we didn't have law enforcement, it would be chaos. It would be very anarchist. Uh, people. It, it would be kind of a free-for-all kind of thing, and it would be really crazy. Uh, I, I do think that law enforcement makes our uh, city safe, and I think that they're undervalued and underappreciated and underpaid, and and that's my perspective. But anyways. I think in the movie, uh, what is that, Dark Knight Rises, Batman? Right. Where, uh, yeah, the police force was, uh, what were they, just wiped out or whatever, and right. it was chaos. And of course, that's a movie, it's not real life, but... Uh, who knows how different that would be from yeah. real life. It's just painting a picture of what could be, right? An idea, right? Not that it actually is, but it, it it's an idea that that could be the case in an extreme circumstance. Right. For sure. Is there going to be a Joker doing crazy stuff like that? Hopefully never in our lifetime, I would hope. But anyways, um, let's go to... Uh, this next part. So now that we have a foundation uh, to base our discussion around, let's dive into some hard topics. I asked a few individuals uh, that are very close to me, and here are a few topics that they felt would be very applicable for this episode. So we've got police reform, three strikes legislation, and drug crimes. I won't get in very deep with these topics. Definitely recommend researching them. Uh, because the metaphorical buckets are so deep, it would take me a long time to cover them. Uh, so let's dive right in. So uh, we are covering, uh, starting with police reform. So before we start that, I wanted to cover very briefly an ideology uh, of police abolishment. So a good friend of mine provided me the source. I can understand why some people might come to this conclusion. Individuals, of course, do have the right to their opinions. I personally believe it's the it's not the direction I would go. I would rather reform personally, but here are some topic points. Mike, can you read those for us? Yep, so this is a quote, uh, looks like. That dang dad. So just a quick backstory for this guy. He's a ex-police officer. Uh, he has some very uh, opinionated views, I guess you'd say. It is 22 minutes long. I didn't really want to cover it. I feel like we could use our time a lot more effectively. I do have that link uh, available if you did want to watch the whole thing. Uh, it, it does have, I would say, very extreme ideals than what I would say mainstream would. Uh, some of them, like, I can see how they get there, but again, I don't personally you know, feel that way. Anyways, uh, let, let's continue with that dang dad. So, yeah, so this is a quote here. It says, First, today's carceral punishment system can be tracked back to slavery and the racial capitalist regime yeah. and the race, racial capitalist regime it relied on and sustained second the expanding criminal punishment system functions to oppress black people and other politically marginalized groups in order to maintain a racial capitalist regime third we can imagine and build a more humane and democratic society that no longer relies on caging people to meet human needs and solve social problems. Just want to kind of break it down uh, in, into just three sections because it's kind of easier to you know, process that way. 
when they're saying that it can be traced back to slavery, it can be traced back to this capitalist regime uh, that it relied and sustained on, when we think the birth of our country, like when our country was created, we needed to have the law enforcement to do that. Now, that did include slavery at the time. Do I agree with it? Absolutely not. Do I think that was right? Absolutely not. I don't believe that at all, but uh, that's where they're saying that stemmed from. Uh, obviously, there were murderers. Obviously, there were people that were, uh, you know, doing theft and doing corrupt things that did need to get stopped and have law enforcement intervene, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I'm just looking at it very objectively. Obviously, like, that's a really hard, like, portion in time. Uh, but I do think that that is the main reason why it's there. Mike, what do you think? I, I too, very much am not happy that slavery was ever a thing. Right. Um, but I do think that, yeah, some kind of law enforcement and jail system has to be there if you're going right. to avoid the chaos that we talked about earlier. Definitely. Definitely. For sure. And like Batman so eloquently said, sometimes people just want to watch the world burn. Yeah. They're just bad people. Like They, they literally don't want anything else other than to ruin other people's lives. Second section, the expanding criminal punishment system functions to oppress black people and other politically marginalized groups in order to maintain a racial capitalistic regime. Uh, I do think that is the case to a point. I think that goes back to bad cops. I think that can definitely uh, be turned around. I think that if we had an appropriate reform and if we held people accountable for their actions, I think there would be a lot less of that. I think we could make that difference for sure, much like the rest of the, the globe that, that we can look at. But anyways, what do you think, Mike? I think that uh, this, of course, isn't uh, a podcast about... Uh, slavery or racism, right. but because you know slavery and racism were around, kind of in conjunction with with uh, the justice system, right. and it, it's just a part of our history. And because it's a part of our history, it's something that we have to continue to face as a country. Definitely. And I hope that you know oppression from for any race can be erased and, and and you know i my if i can interject right equal rights we should always have equal rights constitution yeah. talks about equal rights constitution talks about that have we implemented it 100 percent? i would say no but i think that we can make that difference i think uh i think we've made a lot of leaps and bounds we we can talk about johnson for a second we can talk about martin luther king you know there's a lot of really good people that have been trying to make that difference for sure and we can continue that. I mean, obviously, racism does exist. Obviously, discrimination does exist. Obviously, profiling does exist. And I think that we should certainly try to change that, for sure. But but that's what police reform is, right? That's very different than just abolishing it, getting rid of it, completely eradicating it. Mm -hmm. um, the, the last one, um, third, we can imagine and build a more humane and democratic society that no longer relies on caging people to meet human needs and solve social problems. Uh, I think what they're trying to talk about uh, is for-profit uh, penitentiaries, for-profit prisons, that the state will literally pay a corporation to run a prison system. Uh, when I was talking to uh, my friend about that a little bit, we looked it up. It's about $230 a day that they charge the state for-profit for that inmate. And we were looking at some of the meals that they had. It was 
pretty gross, man. Like, <laughs> the, it looked like mystery meatloaf. Hmm. Like, and they were saying, like, it's all, and, and he was even saying, and I believe him, by the way, um, but he was saying that he saw some of the, the kitchens come in, and they had some labels that said, not for human consumption. So they get, like, these really old food, they cook it up at, like, the bare mint, like, the cheapest thing they possibly can, feed it to these inmates. It absolutely sucks. They really don't have really good living quarters. We did the math, and it's about $82,000 for a person per year. And I said, hey, Corey, when you were there, would you say you received $82,000 worth of benefits? He said, absolutely not, period, none. None whatsoever. There was, uh, in the documentary that I was uh, watching, uh, we'll include that later in our segment, but um, they were saying that some for-profit companies that you earn your wage, to have a 10-minute phone call costs you one and a half hours of your labor. And so, like, they would, like, make things, like, make, uh, like, cabinets, make... Uh, chairs and things like that that they sell, you know, from the for-profit. So they have prisoners make these things. They sell them, you know, at a market price, and then they have the inmates make them, not making very much money at all, while they're making money from the state to have them there. Hmm. <laughs> it's pretty crazy, man. And, like, uh, you you can look it up, of course. Don't take my word for it, but there are instances in the past within the last 10 years that basically said, hey, if we don't have X amount of uh, inmates, then we're just going to shut it down. That's what they're saying for profit. Now, if we had state penitentiaries where the state paid for it, where we don't have a middleman, we're not paying a corporation to do it, I think that it would be a lot more humane. I think that we do a lot of inhumane things uh, to what you would quote-unquote criminals. But anyways, I just wanted to cover that section uh, let's go to uh, down a little bit. So continuing police reform, this idea has been around for a long time. I would say one of the most impactful moments uh, for me in recent history is George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Uh, you probably have heard of them. I definitely would encourage you researching it. Definitely worth uh, reading into it. Here's a brief synopsis. So in this article, it has a short video included. Uh, I'm not going to necessarily uh, play it. But if you wanted to, it does have some good information. Um, Mike, if you could read that for us. This is from USA Today. Government officials and Minnesota locals alike expressed outrage after a video surfaced showing a white police officer kneeling on the neck of a black man and ignoring his pleas for help until first responders put him unresponsive on a stretcher. The man, identified at 46-year-old George Floyd, died at a local hospital, according to police. The case echoes the death of Eric Garner, another black man who died. white officer restrained him, ignoring pleas of, I can't breathe. The four officers involved in the Monday incident were fired Tuesday, and the attorney for Floyd's family, Ben Crump, called for their arrests. The officers have yet to be officially identified, but attorney Tom Kelly told the Associated Press he is representing Derek Chauvin, the officer seen with his knee on Floyd's neck. Kelly declined further comment. Here's what we know so far. So this looks like a tweet from Ben Crump. Tweet says, we did it. Your calls to at Jacob underscore Frey led to the termination of all four officers. Now call DA Mike Freeman and tell him to arrest and charge these officers for the murder of George Floyd. 
we must continue to fight for justice for Floyd. Obviously, that's a very you know moving topic. Obviously, there uh, is a lot of emotion behind that. Obviously, it wasn't humane. Obviously, if you have a person on the ground, obviously, they're not a threat. Obviously, you could have put handcuffs on him, uh, put him in the police cruiser. It wasn't like murder. It wasn't like assault with a deadly weapon or anything. It was like a counterfeit $20 bill. Absolutely no need for aggression. Well, yeah, or murder. So um, this kind of starts um, really amping up into Black Lives Matter movement, protests, uh, things like that. Uh, That was, (laughs) this year has been crazy, man. That is part one. Part two, Mike, can you read that for us? I know it's small print. Okay, so this is from thecut.com in regards to Breonna Taylor. Taylor was shot eight times by law enforcement. According to a lawsuit filed by her family, her killing was the result of a botched drug warrant execution. No drugs were found. The warrant in question targeted another person who lived miles away and had already been detained by the time police entered Taylor's home. There, There may be reasons that any police officer could justify his or her actions in a situation like this, but I I think the lesson that we need to learn is, and I'm not trying to point a finger at the police force, but given our experiences that you and I have had, in addition to these two experiences that we have witnessed, you know, in our country, I think that there are those in the police force that are probably just too hasty to get aggressive or to point a gun or to pull a trigger. You know, they, they're probably jumping the gun a little too quick. And and of course you've got to defend yourself as a police officer. There are situations where you need to be that way. It's situations that should never have occurred. You know, you read about that. You, you see this person was shot and killed who had absolutely nothing to do with the reason the police were even there. Right. And that should never happen. That, it, it's Definitely. not okay. I, I completely agree. And uh, super crazy. And the, I'm not going to go too in-depth into it, um, but I highly encourage reading the story if you're not familiar with it. Uh, guys, if you're listening, it, it's, a, it's a heartbroken like, story. I really feel for that family. And I, like you said, it was not justified. Um, I feel like those individuals that took part of that should be held accountable to the fullness of the law. For sure. So I, I definitely think there was excessive force. I certainly think it could have been a better outcome. Uh, this is just a couple of instances where it shows that there is absolutely room for improvement for reform, in my opinion. Let's take a look at police interactions versus other countries. I found a reasonable article that goes more in depth. I just wanted to share a few uh, snapshots of it. Uh, this is uh, greenroadjournal.com. Uh, there's just a couple of snapshots here. Uh, I don't know if you can read that, Mike. So, so this is just a, yeah, a few different countries with small information here. Cops in Norway require three years of training. There were four people killed since 2002. Cops in Finland require two years of training, and seven people were killed since 2000. Cops in Iceland require two years of training, and one person in history has been killed. Cops in the United States require 21 weeks of training, and more than 8,000 people have been killed since 2001. This is a chart uh, that's also included in that. Uh, it's showing the total number of people killed by law enforcement in the most recent years with the available data. If we can scroll down, I just want to give accurate information based on what it is for the sources. Is data compiled uh, by the Prison Police Prison yeah. Policy yeah. Initiative 
from news sources, government reports, and advocacy groups. Data from the U.S., the Netherlands, England, and Wales, and Iceland are from 2019. Data from Australia, Germany, Japan, New Zealand, and Norway are 2018. The data from Canada are from 2017. For details, you can see it from prisonpolicy.org slash blog slash 2020. We're looking at the United States, right, for the number of people killed. That is 1,099, right? Mike, what's the next one? 36, and that's in Canada. And then we got Australia at 21, Germany at 11. Netherlands for uh, so on and so forth. So uh, there, there's a very large um, gap, right, by, you know, a lot. Um, my, my thoughts are, is that my initial thoughts were, how accurate is this data? What is the population in these countries? I was discussing this with an individual. They did make a good point uh, before we go into this, this next section that I thought was important that because there are lower amounts of population, it would still have a higher percentage than what it would be in the United States. Because you have a smaller pool, uh, you'd have more of a percentage. So really, like, they're just saying, hey, like, these cops are being very reasonable, had a lot of training, been able to de-escalate something. Um, I don't necessarily think that police officers, I mean, based on that information, they don't have nearly as much training, um, things like that. And so it's kind of like, okay, uh, we're going to just press the start button 20-some-odd uh, weeks later. Okay, here, here, here's you know your badge and you know welcome to the police force kind of thing. Uh, again, I definitely think police force are needed. Uh, I definitely think that we could certainly do better. Uh, let's continue, Mike. Can you read this uh, next section for us, please, right here? Oh. It's from the same article. But... Okay, same article. If police really wanted to fix their reputation... Uh, this is a list of things they would do. Demote and remove violent cops. Right, I agree with that. Create a national blacklist of bad cops. I agree with that. Address the police rape epidemic. Definitely. Campaign to end the drug war. Yes. Prioritize non-lethal ways to apprehend non-violent suspects. Right. Refuse to arrest people for victimless crimes. Demand better and a longer training for new recruits. And treat people in their community with respect. Definitely. I believe this is in Salt Lake for both of these, Mike. In Salt Lake, there was an autistic kid. Um, they called for a health and wellness check. Uh, this autistic kid went berserk because he's autistic. Uh, he was running away. He got shot several times uh, from running away. Didn't have really a weapon or anything. Got hospitalized. I think he made it. There's another time in Salt Lake, a police officer was investigating a uh, rape charge. Um, they had access to this individual's uh, phone records. The police officer accessed their, I uh, guess you'd call them, uh, nude pictures, and he was flaunting them to another police officer. The other police officer obviously felt like that was inappropriate, reported him, got in trouble. Anyways, pretty sure that's Salt Lake too. Kind of crazy. So when they say, like, rape epidemic, I think that they're... Uh, certainly is plausible that there are individuals that are sexually harassed uh, by police officers because they just think that they're above the law and, and they're corrupt cops, right? Just a couple of thoughts. Uh, Mike, if you can scroll down just a little bit here. Actually, when I was reading over that information about other countries and the amount of training that they are putting into their cops, uh, that was a little eye-opening to me. I didn't really know 
what it took to get into the police force in our country or in other countries, and um, it's interesting to see that more training meant less death. Oh, definitely. And yeah, for sure. So that's eye-opening to me. You know, I definitely think that more training would be a great idea for our country. Definitely. Just going through that list of uh, if cops wanted to improve their reputation, you know, things they, they would fix. I will say that in, you know, throughout the country, I do think that there are great cops out there. I agree. And that sure. there are cops who handle situations wonderfully, but then, yeah, sure. there are those who don't. And I think that maybe that's where some of that more extensive training could kick in to help. Maybe some of those who are a little too aggressive or those who maybe... No, no, that, I'm, thank you, Mike, for sharing that. So uh, I was curious uh, and did a little bit of research how many people there are in the United States versus others. Uh, I'll include that information uh, on here. Also, you could Google it if you want to. But Canada has 37 million. Australia has 25 million. Germany has 83 million. Netherlands has 17 million. Japan has 126 million. United States has 328 million. So doing some simple math in the United States has 40 million more people uh, than other countries combined. Could we lower the deaths with police brutality? Absolutely, 100%. But I also wanted to show that the metrics that are being shown are a little bit different because of the United States has more people than the rest of the countries combined. The numbers will be higher just simply because of the volume. Again, not condoning, just some thought. We did talk a little bit uh, earlier about, you know, the percentages of, because they are a smaller country and we and they had, you know, a similar, you know, reaction, obviously it would be much higher of a percentage just because the bucket would be smaller than, you know, the United States. Um, they do have more training. They do have more... Uh, capability. There's probably less people enraged about situations because you know things aren't as crazy uh, in the in these other countries. But, anyways, that that was kind of my perspective. What do you think, Mike? Anything or... Like you said, uh, brutality can always go down, but um, right. naturally, just because we have more people in the country means there will be more right instances. Right, it can be significantly reduced. Right? Sure. I don't think it's going to be eliminated completely, especially in the structure that we have right now. I do think that's why I need to reform. I, I did really like the points on the screenshot as well. Just saw a good step in the right direction. I really wanted to emphasize better and longer training for police as well as pay. Because I really don't think police officers get paid enough in this country, uh, just being transparent. I definitely think we can reform issues as they come, so we can have a stable progression of a reform I think has been long overdue. I found this article with what they call a roadmap. I'm not going to go really in depth with it, just want to have some decent points. So just a couple, uh, prioritizing uh, social services and community development, improving schools and programs for youth, remove federal and state immunities that protect officers from misconduct and release records to the public knowledge. That's from hrw.org. Thank you, Mike. Definitely. They had some good points for sure. Some of them I probably wouldn't focus on as much as others, but those were some good takeaways that I got from that list as far as like a reform, definitely longer, more training, and pay them what they're worth. I, I think cops would uh, do a better job if they were financially secure with their family. I think uh, there'd be less dirty cops just because they don't have a financial strain. And I think that if we hold 
law enforcement accountable for their actions, I think there would be, um, you know, more more discipline, uh, less problems that way, personally. But Yeah, um, you know, and up their pay, give them more training, you know, pay them what they're worth, they're putting their lives on the line for us. Definitely, yeah, and I'm not saying that lightly either. Like, I definitely, like, hey, if I have a car accident, right, of course I'm going to call the police, of course I'm going to utilize the justice system, I'm, of course, going to let them determine who is at fault. And, and that's just what I want because when I go to like an insurance company or something, it's not going to be hearsay. It's like, oh, here's the police report. Here's this and that and the other thing. It's just going to be a lot smoother transition, also including keeping our streets safe, also keeping you know our kids safe in schools, things like that. I think they're, they're really important. Anyways, uh, let's uh, continue here. So the three-strike law. Long story short, so basically um, some bullets points for this. Uh, you can find this at justice.gov. By the way, we'll include that in our website. Murderers, manslaughter, sex offenders, kidnapping, robbery, unarmed robbery, arson, drug possession, distribution, and manufacturing. Uh, so here's a quick screenshot from an article I found. Did have some good information. Would you read that for us, please? Yeah, and before mm -hmm. I do so, just to clarify, uh, this three strikes policy, those bullets you just listed, mm -hmm. Um, you were explaining to me earlier that you do three of those or three of the same of one of those and any, any, either or so interchangeably do any of those three or you do three of one of them or any, any right. combination mm -hmm. and, uh, 25 years to life for prison. Right. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And, and we've got a chart that has a little bit more of a breakdown about it, okay. but yeah, uh, thank you, Mike. I actually did. I uh, missed that section, so I'm glad that you picked that up. But yeah, so so this came out in the 90s. So slideshare.net is where this comes from. It's got some bullets listed here. It says California has convicted 4,468 offenders on third strikes since 1994. There are 2 million people behind bars in the United States, including local jails, twice as many as a decade ago. Approximately 2,700 third strikers received at least a 25-year-to-life sentence for non-violent and non-serious offenses. In California, nearly 75% of second strikes and 50% of third strikes are for non-violent and non-serious offenses. And the most common charges leveled against third strike criminals are drugs, theft, and burglary. Yeah, some heavy stuff. Uh, for sure. If you guys do have Netflix, I would recommend uh, these documentaries. I think they were very well done. I'm not going to cover the material just for the sake of time, uh, but they are the 13th Grass is Greener and Dope. They are pretty intense documentaries, not for the faint of heart, but had a lot of good information and really showed a good contrast about what's happening uh, for sure. Uh, as we uh, continue on here, let's talk about drug possession versus other crimes. I was able to find a great graph that depicted it very well. This is from prisonpolicy.org. It's broken up into kind of three sections. So we've got local jails, state prisons, and uh, federal prisons. For local jails, I wanted to cover this. So out of 631,000 local jail um, inmates, 470,000 uh, that aren't convicted of a crime, but they're in limbo, right? They haven't gone anywhere. They're just stuck there. And then there's 161,000 uh, that are convicted. And that gets broken up into, you know, violence, property, drugs, 120,000 people for drugs, public order, uh, 82,000. That's the non-convicted section, I should clarify. Let me rephrase that. So the non-convicted section goes into property, drugs, public order, and violence. So those are what they 
uh, were quote unquote arrested for, but they were actually never convicted of that. Like they've never like actually received a trial. They've actually never like even pled guilty. They're just stuck in limbo, right? And then we're looking at this other chart, 161,000 convicted, and that breaks up into a smaller portion of, uh, you know, 34,000 violent, 40,000 property. Like, I would assume that would be, like, graffiti, things like that. 37,000 drugs, uh, public order, 49,000. That's a lot of limbo. Uh, right, a lot of limbo. I would uh, sure hate to... Well, not, not that I'm the kind of... I, I'm not the kind of person that would ever, you know go out and cause havoc, you know, be do violent crimes or property damage, or any of these kind of things. But if I were that kind of person and I were brought to prison, just sitting in limbo for who knows how long would be pretty terrible. Yeah, I'd be pretty jaded, for sure. be pretty mad. Yeah. Um, we have the right to a speedy trial, right? I don't think that's being exhibited in this graph, is what I'm trying to say. Not, not at all. If we can scroll down here. Um, so we're looking at state prisons, right? So we got 153 public order, 191,000 for drugs, 227,000 for property, and 713,000. So I think that the 713,000 uh, being obviously charged for a crime, pled guilty during the system, I think that they are supposed to be there. That's their prison sentence. They kind of messed up, and, uh, and and they deserve everything you get. Now... If we're talking like Mike, how much was it for for drugs for the state section? One hundred and ninety-one thousand. What is that in far, as far as fractions with the state prisons? How how many is that? Is that like ten percent? How much is that uh, for drugs? You say out of one point three million, right? For drugs, one hundred ninety-one thousand, right? So that's gonna be so that's like twenty percent. Is that right? Two over thirteen, yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, 13 just, to 20. just around, yeah, so, like, we got a lot of people for, like, property and drugs and and uh, public order things. I think that those are very rehabilitatable. I think that if there was a platform to be able to be rehabilitated, to be able to uh, provide uh, a means to be able to progress from the mistakes that you made, I don't think that they're going to go back in the system. But with that three-strike rule... You do it three times, boom, the next thing you know, you're 25 years alive, just as much as if you would have murdered somebody. I think that that's, I think that that's pretty absurd. Uh, yeah, but... In my opinion. How, what, what's going on in the, the federal prisons we got? Do they even say what it's about? I guess we got, what, 16,000 for immigration, right? Why, why are they stuck in limbo for that? That's crazy. Anyways, yeah. 22,000 for drugs, 13,000 for violent, and this was the most important thing for me. So, Mike, out of 226,000 people, how many are in for drugs? 78,000. 78,000 for drugs. And I would say probably a lot of that is from the three-strike rule. That's a third of the people. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying everyone, right? Of course, you got gangs and stuff, but definitely I think a lot of them go into that category, and they're just stuck for life. Can't leave. They're screwed. Just because of drugs. Crazy, man. Anyways, Mike, do you have any thoughts on that chart? or I think just seeing this data and kind of having uh, learned what the three-strike rule was, I, I wasn't familiar with it before right. today, but seeing this chart in conjunction with kind of knowing this three-strike rule, yeah, I think that there are some of these things 
in the street three strike rule that in my opinion don't really apply yeah maybe reformation right yeah need to be changed we've got a weird timeline we had the war on drugs with reagan right uh, then we had, you know, Bill Clinton kind of introduced that with, with his campaign information. I, I'm not going to go into it, really. Uh, definitely recommend doing the research. But the idea is that they want to take the people that are doing drugs and they want to just put them in prison forever, which I don't think is fair. I think that if we had, you know, a reformation in that, it'd be better. As far as that goes... Uh, it's it's a super hard thing because um, every single person that's going to be in the prison system is going to be a different human being. Right. Uh, the thing that's so hard is some people might be... Like, if we take a look at drugs, for example, specifically, some people are in there because they are in it for money, some people are in there because they just like drugs, and some people are in there because... They made a mistake and they right. are addicted and don't want any part of it, but they have an addiction. Right. And there are those people that, you know, who maybe really want to be freed up from a drug addiction that now they're stuck in jail for life right. from something that they're just, A, they were they were just struggling from in the first place and don't really want it in their life anyway. It, right. Their heart is in the right place, but they are now stuck. Right. Definitely. No, that, that's exactly my thoughts too, Mike. And and that's why I wanted to spend a bulk of my time on this because I really felt like that is a major problem right now. Uh, we'll kind of look into more specifics about like jail time and things like that for things. But anyways, it's crazy. This is from criminal.finelaw.com. It says sentences for drug distribution and trafficking can generally range from three to five years to life in prison but can be substantially higher when larger quantities are involved. Drug trafficking and distribution is a felony and is a more serious crime than drug possession. Okay, so that can be interpreted a lot of different ways, but you can, um, based on this information, literally be in jail for the rest of your life because of drugs. Let's go to the next section, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, kind of a tough one. Uh, Mike, can you read that for us, please? So this is an article in Ohio that was posted October 21st, 2020. So in this article, an individual raped a minor and was given a seven-year sentencing. I'm going to read over this. It's from NewarkAdvocate.com. A Newark man was sentenced to seven years in prison after he admitted to raping a minor on Tuesday. Robert J. McDonald, 24, of Newark, pleaded guilty to... Uh, to one count of rape, a first-degree felony in Licking County Common Pleas Court. Three additional rape charges and a gross sexual imposition charge were dismissed as part of a plea agreement. According to Assistant Licking County Prosecutor Jenny Gonzalez-Wells, between August 1st and October 1st of 2016, McDonald engaged in forcible sexual conduct with the victim, who was a minor at the time. Defense Attorney Edward Itayim told Judge Thomas Marceline, the state and defense had a joint recommendation of seven years in prison for the charge. Okay. I was very emotionally charged uh, when I read that. Uh, I felt like it's very unreasonable if an individual has like drug possession, like we just read, three to five years. You got a person that raped somebody, seemed like multiple times. A minor, even. Seven years. Seven years. I, I think that that's completely absurd. Uh, makes me very angry. Um, 
anyways, I just wanted to share that. Mike, do you have any thoughts on that or? I just side with you. That's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it it was hard to stomach through some of it. Um, anyways, uh, let's continue. I wanted to go over a source briefly. I found for assault and battery in prison time, so I'll just try to speed run through these. Class C misdemeanor fines up to five hundred. Class B misdemeanor up to 100, 180 days in jail, fine up to two thousand dollars. Class A misdemeanor up to one year in jail, fine up to $4,000, third degree felony, up to 10 years in prison, fine up to $10,000, second degree felony between two and 20 years in prison, fines up to $10,000, first degree felony between five years to life in prison, plus fines. So we're looking at that, that's just specifically battery, right? We're going into aggravated battery. So that's a deadly weapon was used. The stat status of the victim is a protected class, the perpetrator's intent or the seriousness of the injury. So. The assault with a caustic chemical is punishable by two to three or four years in prison. The use of a deadly weapon can be punished as a misdemeanor or a felony, two to three or four years in prison. Semi-automatic weapon fire assaults are punishable by three, six, or nine years. So by you having aggravated assault, that's not murder, right? It's aggravated assault. Well, I'm assuming that'd be something like a bank robbery or something like that, but they're basically saying you have less time raping a minor than you robbing a bank. Yeah, that's I just not okay. Don't get it. Um, anyways, obviously, if you're a murderer, um, have or homicide uh, cases and things like that, usually it is the life. Um, sometimes I was talking to my friend about it that was in the prison system. Some do get parole. Some do walk. Some get out. I don't completely understand it. You guys can do the research too, uh, because we're in this COVID pandemic. You can research it, but there have been individuals that have been released from prison because of COVID-19, uh, just because there's too many people in the prison system, I would assume because of the three strike law and other things like that. Um, but they've released uh, thousands of people uh, out that have been charged you know, for these different crimes. And I believe they said something like almost 10% of them uh, were charged for like murder and very violent crimes. And I just did not agree with that uh, sentiment. I feel like if it's like money involvement, if you're a for-profit uh, penitentiary or even if you're state, I don't really care. Like that's your job to take care of individuals that are in prison and that's your responsibility. Don't put them on the streets because that's why they got you know, put into prison in the first place. Kind of crazy stuff, Mike. Um, any takeaways? Uh, that's our justice system. I, I don't know, a lot of deep, kind of heavy stuff tonight. Right, um, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it's a kind of crazy uh, situation, for sure. That I definitely think that we can reform uh, the three-strike law. I definitely think that we can reform police. I definitely think we can... You know, reform how we allocate uh, the justice system. I think it does save a lot of people. I do think that they do a lot of good. I also think that we could definitely handle it better, and I don't think that we do it equally. This is in prisonpolicy.org slash graphs slash race inc html. So this is the number of people incarcerated per 100,000 people in each racial and ethnic category. 
115 are Asian. 450 are white. 831 are Latino origin. 1,000 uh, are Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander. 1,300 American, Indian, or Alaska Native. And 2,300 are Black or African American. So when we're looking at that chart, like the... Uh, African Americans definitely think we have racial profiling in this country. I definitely think uh, people are very afraid right now about you know law enforcement and what's happening. I've seen videos, uh, especially during the protests, where you know police are literally just breaking people's vehicles just to break them. Uh, they're hitting people just to hit them. You know there was this gentleman that was standing in front of a couple of law enforcement officers. Uh, asking them, like, are they doing what the Constitution has asked them to, and they broke his hand standing there, you know, things like that. It's just absolutely crazy. I think there's a lot of energy around this. I definitely think we do need a police reform. I definitely think that we need to reform the system. I think that we have tried to trap people that are involved in drugs. I don't think we've given people solutions. And I think that a reform can come... Peacefully, I don't Definitely. think it has to require protest on right. either party. I I completely agree with that. I think the idea is is that people have tried, and it just doesn't get through. True. So I think then people get violent uh, just because they're sick of not being heard. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, visiting with us. I know it was a little bit to stomach. It was for me, anyways. Probably for Mike. I'd imagine. Uh, I hope you guys have a great night. Thanks for visiting with us. Thank you for supporting our podcast. If you would like to check out our sources from today's episode, please visit our blog at soberdiscussions.blogspot.com. And if you would like to join the discussion, email us at soberdiscussions at gmail.com.